This is Plant-Based Briefing. Changing protein requirements and increasing protein intake after age 65, both by Dr. Michael Greger at nutritionfacts.org. And I'm Marian Erickson, host of this curated content plant-based podcast, where I find and narrate a variety of articles on plant-based and vegan topics with permission every weekday. And today's article is about protein, following on with the last two episodes as well, so check those out if you haven't already. Today's is by Dr. Michael Greger of NutritionFacts.org. He's a physician, a New York Times bestselling author, internationally recognized speaker on nutrition, food safety, and public health issues. There's a lot of confusing and conflicting nutritional advice out there, usually presented by people with a financial interest. So Nutrition Facts summarizes the latest in peer-reviewed nutrition and health research with no conflicts of interest. There are no ads, there are no corporate sponsorships, They're not selling any supplements or anything along those lines. In fact, 100% of all proceeds he's ever received from his books, DVDs, and speaking engagements have always and will always be donated to charity. So now let's get to today's plant-based briefing. Changing Protein Requirements and Increasing Protein Intake After Age 65 by Dr. Michael Greger at NutritionFacts.org Changing Protein Requirements There's been a history of enthusiasm for protein in the nutrition world. A century ago, the protein recommendations were more than twice what we know them to be today. This enthusiasm peaked in the 1950s with the United Nations identifying protein deficiency as a serious, widespread global problem. According to them, there was a worldwide protein gap that needed to be filled. This was certainly convenient for the U.S. dairy industry, who could then dump their post-war supplies of dried milk in developing countries rather than have to just bury it in the United States, as was contemplated by the Department of Agriculture at one point. But all of this led to the phenomena I cover in my video, The Great Protein Fiasco, linked here. It started in the 1930s with a disease of malnutrition called kwashiorkor, which was assumed to be caused by protein deficiency. The disease was famously discovered by Dr. Cicely Williams, who then spent the latter part of her life debunking the very condition she had first described. It turns out there is no real evidence of dietary protein deficiency. The actual cause of kwashiorkor remains obscure, but fecal transplant studies suggest changes in gut flora may be a causal factor. How could the field of nutrition have gotten it so spectacularly wrong? A famous editorial about the nutrition profession started with these words. The dispassionate objectivity of scientists is a myth. No scientist is simply involved in the single-minded pursuit of truth. He or she is also engaged in the passionate pursuit of research grants and professional success. Nutritionists may wish to attack malnutrition, but they also wish to earn their living in ways they find congenial. This inevitably encourages researchers to make a case for the importance of their own portion of the field and their nutrient, which in this case was protein. Science did eventually prevail. There was a massive recalculation of human protein requirements in the 1970s, which at the stroke of a pen closed the protein gap and destroyed the theory of pandemic protein malnutrition. Infant protein requirements went from a recommended 13% of daily calories down to 10%, 7%, and then down to 5%. To this day, however, there are still those obsessing about protein. For example, those promoting paleolithic diets try to make the case for protein from an evolutionary perspective. Okay, so what is the perfect food for human beings that has been fine-tuned over millions of years to contain the perfect amount of protein just for us? 
human breast milk. If high-quality protein was the nutrient among nutrients that helped us build our big brains over the last few million years, one would expect that importance to be resoundingly reflected in the composition of human breast milk, especially because infancy is the time of our most rapid growth. But this is patently not the case. In fact, human breast milk is one of the lowest protein milks in the mammalian world. Indeed, it may have the lowest protein concentration of any animal in the world, at less than 1% protein by weight. This is one of the reasons why feeding straight cow's milk to babies can be so dangerous. And although the protein content in human milk has been described as extremely low, it's exactly where it needs to be, at the natural normal level for the human species, fine-tuned over millions of years. Adults require no more than 0.8 or 0.9 grams of protein per healthy kilogram of body weight per day, which is about your ideal weight in pounds, multiplied by 4, and then divided by 10. So someone whose ideal weight is 100 pounds may require up to 40 grams of protein a day. On average, they probably only need about 30 daily grams of protein, which is 0.66 grams per kilogram. But we round it up to 0.8 or 0.9 grams because everyone's different and we want to capture most of the bell curve. People are actually more likely to suffer from protein excess than protein deficiency. The adverse effects associated with long-term high-protein, high-meat intake diets may include disorders of bone and calcium balance, disorders of kidney function, increased cancer risk, disorders of the liver, and worsening of coronary artery disease. Considering all of these potential disease risks, there is currently no reasonable scientific basis to recommend protein consumption above the current recommended daily allowance. The low protein level in human breast milk, about 6% of calories, doesn't mean adults only need that much. A 15-pound infant can suck up to 500 calories a day, but an adult who's 10 times heavier doesn't typically consume 10 times more food or 5,000 calories. Although we weigh 10 times more, we may only eat 4 or 5 times more. So our food does need to be more concentrated in protein. Nevertheless, people tend to get way more than they need. Increasing Protein Intake After Age 65 That study that purported to show that diets high in meat, eggs, and dairy could be as harmful to health as smoking supposedly suggested that people under 65 who eat lots of meat, eggs, and dairy are four times as likely to die from cancer or diabetes. But if you look at the actual study, you'll see that's simply not true. Those eating lots of animal protein didn't have four times more risk of dying from diabetes they had 73 times the risk. What about those that chose moderation, those in the moderate protein group, who got 10 to 19% of calories from protein? They just had about 23 times the risk of death from diabetes compared to those consuming the recommended amount of protein, which comes out to be about 6 to 10% of calories from protein, around 50 or so grams a day. So, the so-called low-protein intake is actually the recommended protein intake, associated with a major reduction in cancer and overall mortality in middle age under age 65. But note it says not in older populations. When it comes to diabetes deaths, lower overall protein intake is associated with a longer life at all ages, but for cancer, it seems to flip around age 65. These results suggest that low-protein intake during middle age, followed by moderate to high-protein consumption in old adults, may optimize health span and lifespan. Some have suggested that the standard daily allowance for protein, 0.8 grams of daily protein for every healthy kilogram of body weight, may be fine for most, but maybe older people require more. 
This is the study upon which the recommended daily allowance, or RDA, was based, and though there was a suggestion that the elderly may have a somewhat higher requirement, there is just not enough evidence to make different recommendations. The definitive study was published in 2008, and it found no difference in the protein requirements between young and old. The same RDA should be adequate for the elderly. But adequate intake is not necessarily optimal intake. The protein requirement studies don't address the possibility that protein intake well above the RDA could prove beneficial, or so suggests a member of the Whey Protein Panel and a consultant of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. If you follow sedentary individuals over the age of 65, they lose about 1% of their muscle mass every year. If you force people to lie in bed all day for days at a time, anyone would lose muscle mass, but older adults may lose muscle mass on bed rest six times faster than young people. So it's use it or lose it for everyone, but the elderly appear to lose it faster, so they better use it. The good news is, in contrast to the 12-year U.S. study, a similar study in Japan found that the age-related decreases in muscle mass were trivial. Why the difference? It turns out the participants were informed about the results of their muscle strength and so often tried to improve it by training before the next exam for the study, especially the men, who got so competitive their muscle mass went up with age, which shows that the loss of muscle mass with age is not inevitable. You just have to put in some effort. And adding protein does not seem to help. Adding more egg whites to the diet did not influence the muscle responses to resistance training, and that's based on studies funded by the American Egg Board itself. Even the National Dairy Council couldn't spin it. Evidently, strength training-induced improvements in body composition, muscle strength and size, and physical functioning are not enhanced when older people increase their protein intake by either increasing the ingestion of higher-protein foods or taking protein supplements. Is there anything we can do, diet-wise, to protect our aging muscles? Vegetables. Consuming recommended levels of vegetables was associated with cutting the odds basically in half of low muscle mass. Why? The alkalizing effects of vegetables may neutralize the mild metabolic acidosis that occurs with age, and, you know, it may be that little extra acid in our body that facilitates the breakdown of muscle. I've talked about this before, how muscle wasting appears to be an adaptive response to acidosis. We appear to get a chronic low-grade acidosis with advancing age because our kidneys start to decline and because we may be eating an acid-promoting diet, which means a diet high in fish, pork, chicken, and cheese, and low in fruits and vegetables. And as you can see, beans and other legumes are the only major source of protein that's alkaline instead of acid-forming. And indeed, a more plant-based diet, a more alkaline diet, was found to be positively associated with muscle mass in women aged 18 through 79 years old. So, if we are going to increase our protein consumption after age 65, it would be preferable to be plant-based proteins to protect us from frailty. No matter how old we are, a diet that emphasizes plant-based nutrition is likely to maximize health benefits in all age groups. You just listened to Changing Protein Requirements and Increasing Protein Intake After Age 65, both by Dr. Michael Greger at NutritionFacts.org. And I'm your host, Marian Erickson, and please share this with anyone who might benefit, and thanks for listening.